Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Why Did You Read That? Uh, My name's Megan. And I'm Peter. Yeah. And we're your hosts. Yeah, we did a swap them up. Yeah. And it didn't go well. I'm I'm sure you can tell. It's okay. Thanks. You know, this is my comfort zone. We have to have some kind of gimmick for each episode because we've done a few gimmicks. So mm-hmm. this will be the episode where we swap yeah. to introduce the show. Yeah. It's Megan. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, my partner, you know, is listening to part of the show to clip out a an advertisement for it. Uh-huh. And she was like, Oh, Megan has such a nice, pleasant voice to listen to. Oh, how nice to and hear. And she's always complimenting your book recommendation skills. Are you feeling insecure? To me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, can't you talk about how great Megan is to somebody who's not on the same podcast as her? Like, <laughs> who's the other 50%? You know, it makes me feel good, though, so I appreciate it. Well, that's why I wanted to pass it on. I'll have to send her, like, a text or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I wanted to pass it on, because I was like, well... If this is going to hurt my feelings, at least it should make you feel better. Thank you. I like, appreciate that. You know, you're welcome. <laughs> I, do you have a joke for me? I do have a joke. Okay. Um, I think it's a good one. I enjoy it. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay <laughs> you, you have like a raised eyebrow for everyone just listening who can't see. There's some hardcore raised eyebrow action that's making me skeptical of how <laughs> good no, this it's, is. It's a good one. All right. I'm ready. Also, it's my one skill is the ability to raise one eyebrow. It's, I'm very proud. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Why did Adele cross the road? To get to the other side. Very close. Okay. To say hello to the other side. Oh, I was so close. You were very close. A little story about that song. I used to sing that song to my cat Mm -hmm. and then heard a song playing on the radio and was like, what is this song? And uh, my partner was like, that's hello by Adele and I was like no it's not and I found out that whatever song I was singing to the cat was definitely not hello by Adele I don't know what it was that's lost to time well she has another song (laughs) that might maybe it it was another Adele song probably not no okay I think what I thought was what I thought I was singing had nothing to do with what I was singing and I was like oh Mm -hmm. all right does this mean that you're officially old I guess, uh, yeah, I'm not in touch with the kids. Yeah, the youth. I, do, I don't know any, like, Billie Eilish songs. And I keep meaning to, like, find, okay, what's the most popular song? Let's see what this is. Yeah. But I could not identify that. Well, I, I have a confession for you. I do know of some Billie Eilish songs, but only because I heard them in an acapella medley. <laughs> so I don't think that actually does me any favors. That both, no, doesn't do you any favors and makes me think... Okay, maybe my example of Billie Eilish is not contemporary either. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'd like to think that it is, but I wouldn't take my word for it. I have to say, like, the the most noticeable thing about aging in terms of music fandom for me has usually been, I'll be on Twitter, and it's usually a hip-hop artist who has an odd name, Mm -hmm. dies, and I have no idea who this person is. That's how I find out about most of the contemporary hip-hop artists that I find out about, which is kind of unfortunate. <laughs> but also, I'm like, there must be a way to discover these folks before they're while dead. While they're alive. Yeah, while yeah. they're, like, making music and stuff. Because people seem to know who they are. Yeah. But I'm not sure how. I know who Lizzo is and Cardi B. 
I do know who they are. Yeah. Yep. I know, I know like the super famous ones. I know, here's how the ones I know. I know the artists who penetrate far enough into the culture that some people seem to have a problem with them. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how I find out. And then, then I get excited to go listen to whatever they've made that's got people so enraged. And I'm usually disappointed, not because it's a bad song, but because I'm like, I mean... This is what made them so angry? Yeah, this is like... This seems to really have altered the course of this person's life in yeah. a negative way, and now I'm listening to it and thinking, eh. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think this is going to ruin my day. <laughs> but whatever. Anyway, I don't think we're a music podcast. Thank goodness. <laughs> It would be a really... an hour of us going. Is BTS a thing? What? Ha- what is that? BTO? What? <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness we're not a music yeah. show. I don't think we'd do well. Oh, uh, all right. We are a book show. Yes, and I started last week, and I think I started the week before. So I think you should start. Okay. So uh, just in case you happen to be listening to us for the first time, I don't know why you would pick up here first, but maybe you did. Yeah. The um, world's a mysterious place. The way this works is I will go through, I've picked out four possible titles to talk about, and Megan will pick two of those that she is interested in hearing about for whatever reason. Yeah. And then she'll do the same thing. Yep. All right. So here's my four titles. One of my titles this time is a children's picture book. Oh, I have a middle grade graphic novel, so we're mixing it up. (laughs) Oh, see? Um, It's called The Skydiving Beavers by Susan Wood. (laughs) It's uh, based on a true story okay. of a bunch of beavers that they threw out of an airplane. <laughs> okay. For I'm intrigued. mildly environmentally positive reasons. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> the next one is called Child Star by Box Brown. Okay. Um, that's a comic book, a graphic novel, if you will. Oh, I will. Um, and it's kind of a fictional story, but it's about a like fictionalized version of a... Uh, a Gary Coleman type child star. Okay. And then um, next I've got a book called Draplin Design Company, Pretty Much Everything by Aaron James Draplin. That okay. is a nonfiction um, kind of a book about graphic design, but also about this guy's life. And it's a whole mishmash of a lot of different things. Okay. And then the last one. Now, this is one that I'm a little nervous that maybe I talked about before. Okay. Uh, so if I did... I'll tell you. All apologies. <laughs> as the Nirvana song. You know, the you, pop you're Nirvana a librarian. song. You couldn't go back and check. I could have. Disappointing. I'm not gonna say I couldn't have, but I didn't. <laughs> Disappointing. It's Batman colon the Hero Kuwata Bat Manga. Okay, no, one. you have not chosen this. Excellent. I was pretty sure I hadn't, but not sure, sure. <laughs> okay. So this is actually uh a Batman comic that was created and distributed in Japan quite a while ago. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's got some of the basics of the Batman character, but then some of it is very different. So those are my four. All right. Well, I think to no one's surprise, I need to start with the beavers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So The Skydiving Beezer- Beavers by Susan Wood. There's one thing I like, which is... There's a lot of children's nonfiction books. So when I used to work in the library, at one time I worked in the children's section and we shelved a lot of the books. And one of my favorite things was uh, 
sort of children's nonfiction that told an odd story. Yeah. Uh, there's one I read. It was called something like The Ridiculous Race or something. Oh, and there's an adult book called The Ridiculous Race that I know you've read. Yeah. And this one has a very similar title, but I think I always confuse them. <laughs> but it was about the first marathon. And it's hilarious because, you know, they did a bunch of things like supposedly no human had run this far before in a race. So they didn't really know it was going to happen. There was a guy. They wouldn't allow any of the participants to consume water during the race. So is this like the first organized marathon? Yes. Okay. Because I know that the marathon is named after a runner named Marathon. Yeah. Well. So you're Fipp not talking about Fippities? that story. Yeah. In Marathon. Oh, okay. It. You know what? Fine. Just show me that. <laughs> I know one thing about, well, I read this children's <laughs> book, so I know. So, yeah, it was, they didn't let them consume any water, you know, and this is, so it's a 26.2 mile race. Uh -huh. No water. They did let them consume something. So one person's coach was driving along next to him in a car and was feeding him strychnine mixed with raw egg. That seems like a terrible idea. It was a horrible idea. Shockingly, he didn't feel very good. Yeah, isn't strychnine poison? <laughs> it is rat poison, yeah. yeah okay. That's the common use of it. Yeah, yeah. Just a bunch of great... There was a guy a guy who got chased off course by dogs who happened to be around. It's just... The whole thing is just <laughs> like, you know, if you were 12 and decided to host a marathon. <laughs> you'd be I'm like, having oh. mental images of the Tour de France and that woman who held the sign out and took out the whole race. It's like that, except imagine every spectator is that clueless like it doesn't know what's happening so anyway the skydiving beavers is in this tradition of children's books that tell a bizarre true story okay um and what i like about them is you can get the whole story and it's usually fairly quick and there's not as much commentary about how bizarre it is it kind of just throws the facts yeah. out there and then you get to be like wait what plunges you right in the deep end so in the uh, late 40s or early 50s, there was a town in Idaho that a bunch of people moved to. I think it was kind of a post-war, I wouldn't say boom town, but like, you know, a suburban area. Okay. Lots of families moved there, da-da-da-da. Shortly after a lot of homes and things were built there, they discovered that they had a problem with beavers. <laughs> um, the beavers were, you know, among other things... Uh, cutting down trees that were falling on houses and ah. across roads. And okay. they were very industrious, as beavers are. Busy beavers. Yes. Um, as and, you know, say. destroying buildings and stuff like that. I guess for people who don't know, beavers are fun and cute. But in a, when they collide with people, they're a pest. Mm -hmm. So this guy got an idea that instead of just getting rid of the beavers in an inhumane way, he had somehow had access to a bunch of parachutes from World War II. And he was like, you know what we could do? We could relocate these beavers. <laughs> and, you know, first, I mean, the obvious questions are things like you couldn't drive them out there or whatever, but there were no roads to where he wanted, where he was going. There are no roads. Mm, yeah. And, well, and then they, they just hitch a ride back. Right. Then he was <laughs> like... um, we could have taken them by horseback, but I guess beavers don't do very well if they don't have access to water and it's warm. So they get overheated really yeah. quickly. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, and it, it just doesn't go They're well. They're kind of built to be in cold water. Yep. 
He also claimed that uh, beavers spook horses, which I I don't know how you would discover that, but I'll take maybe, his word for it. Maybe he tried it and was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> These guys are not getting along. <laughs> so he came up with this idea. He got a bunch of uh, these parachutes he, for whatever reason, had access to. And he developed a box that would spring open when it hit the ground. So it was like somehow the way the parachute was designed, it kept tension on the box and kept it from opening it until it hit the ground. And then the box would spring open. And so the idea was they could fly a plane full of beavers, drop them in this very remote area that is, you know, well suited for their lifestyle. <laughs> sure. Trees as far as the eye can see. Yeah. So basically, that's the plan he came up with. And in order to test this out, he captured a large male beaver that he named Geronimo and repeatedly <laughs> dropped Geronimo from the plane. This seems like child abuse, not child abuse, animal abuse. Here's the weirdest part. There are differing accounts of how this went. Uh, one account is that because both accounts agree on one thing, which is that Geronimo would get dropped from the box, the box would open, he would come out, but then he would just go back in. And so one version of this is he didn't really mind. The uh -huh. other version of this is he was resigned to his fate of being dropped over and over. <laughs> he was so traumatized that he couldn't even leave the box. <laughs> he was just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, they're just going to come get me and put me back in the box. I might as well just get in here. I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a purgatory. Exactly. And I've just accepted my fate. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not being an expert remotely on beaver behavior, but also kind of assuming that none of these folks were either. Sure. It's hard to say which of these versions is more correct. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they dropped him several times to kind of, because they wanted to test out the box because he wanted to make sure that A, the beaver wouldn't die. Right. And B, that when the box hit the ground, it would reliably open. So after they tested it several times and they were confident, they, over the course of several drops, dropped, I think, 89 beavers out in this area, and 88 of them made it. Oh, Only Was it Geronimo? One, it was Geronimo made it. Oh, okay. Uh, there was one beaver who I guess the box opened on the way down, and the beaver oh. exited early oh. <laughs> and didn't make it. But 88 out of 89 is pretty good for dropping a beaver out of a plane. <laughs> I guess what's weird about it to me, too, is, you know, on the one hand, it seems, uh, yeah, oddly abusive. And, you know, obviously this is not what a beaver is naturally right. inclined towards. Well, I feel like if it were done today, there would be some groups that would have a problem with it. I think so. Yeah. On the other hand... You know, this would probably be in the burgeoning animal rights days. Right. They did not shoot the beavers. Exactly. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm sure that many times this happened, the beavers were trapped, killed, shot, exploded. Turned into hats. Turned into hats. So on that front, there is a small pro-animal welfare element here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's that's it's part of what makes it an interesting story. And the other one is obviously like... This is such an asinine plan, but right. it kind of worked. It makes me think of that Disney movie Operation Dumbo Drop. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And so I guess apparently they also flew over the area like in subsequent years 
and did see a lot of evidence of beaver activity in the area. So they assumed they were survived and thrived in the area. (laughs) I mean, if you're finding beaver dams, that does suggest that there are beavers. Um, So I guess I just kind of told the whole story of this book, which is sort of unfortunate. Well, but I assume there are illustrations. There are illustrations. There's a lot more detail. A lot of these kids' books, too, have a, like, back page that tells the full story in long, boring text. Right. So that when you're the adult reading it to a child, you can be like, wait, what? And then read the full story. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this children's book specified that one of the beavers didn't make it. That might have been in some of my own research. Uh. But yeah, The Skydiving Beavers by Susan Wood. All right. I highly recommend it. It's on Hoopla, too. Is so that you how can... you stumbled? I was going to ask you how you found it. Uh, I heard the story somewhere and then saw there was a children's book about it. Huh. And so was like, all right, I got to see what this is all about. Interesting. Get the full story. <laughs> Which, it gives the full story. Yeah? Yeah, and the beavers are cute. The pictures are nice. But yeah, it's it's like one of those little quirky stories of American history that you're just like, why didn't we learn about this in history class? Yeah. Like, this is way more interesting than... Well, just scatter those throughout and kids will stay engaged because every once yeah. in a while there'll be something something weird. Yeah, I mean, how interested in sixth grade was I in the Teapot Dome scandal? Yeah. Not really. I mean... <laughs> Well, you thought you were because you heard Teapot Dome scandal, and then you realized it was just politics. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like a government thing. Scandal scandal got me excited. And then yeah. I was like, mm. Teapot? Yeah, like, mm, what happened? Yeah. yeah something, something bizarre must have happened. And then it's like, <laughs> no, not really. They just, whoever named it came up with, came up with a cool name. Yep. You know, it's like uh, whoever coined Watergate, and now everything is something, something gate. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, they did a good job coming up with a name for, you know, something that wasn't super exciting. Yeah. So anyway, The Skydiving Beavers by Susan Wood. Excellent choice. Thank you. I'm sorry (laughs) I just told the whole story. You know what? uh, I think it's okay because the book itself isn't such a huge investment of time. No, no. it's. I guess I spoiled less of a book than I normally would by describing the first 5% of it. Exactly. So percentage-wise, I blew it, but time investment, yeah, we're good. Um, all right. You want to tell me about year four? And yes, then I, I do. And I pick... Uh, I had a nonfiction-heavy month. Yeah, so... it looks like it. Yeah. I think they're good, though. So my first book is The Greatest Love Story Ever Told by Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman, mm-hmm. um, who are famous for being in Parks and Recreation and Will and Grace, respectively, mm-hmm. and, uh, or the other way around. Yeah. I guess Megan Mullally is in uh, uh, Will and Grace. Well, and she was also famously in she was, Parks and yes, Rec as the librarian. And they, they discussed that. <laughs> uh, actually, Nick Offerman has librarian relatives, uh, which I found amusing as well. So I have that one. It's basically them telling the story of how they met and married and about their relationship in general. Then I have a book called Mudlark, In Search of London's Past Along the River Thames by Laura, Laura Meiklem. And this is about, um, there's a a class of people in London who, uh, the Thames is a tidal river, so it raises and lowers with the tides. And uh, there are people who go down on the the shoreline when it's at low tide, and they find bits and pieces from London's history as far back as Rome in the river, the riverbank. And so it's a a memoir by a woman who does this. Hmm. She's a mudlark. 
Then I have a middle grade graphic novel called Snapdragon by Kat Lay. She is one of the, I think she's an illustrator for the Lumberjanes graphic oh, novel series. Okay. Yeah. So the art, art style is similar. It is about a young girl whose mom is a single mom and she lives in a town where there's a woman who lives in the woods by herself and is known as a witch. And she kind of befriends her. And she's a little bit of a social misfit, I guess I would say. The kid. So, the kid, yeah. Okay. And, and well, and the, the well, woman. Yeah. <laughs> the witch, yeah. <laughs> that old lady who everyone thinks is a witch is uh, actually popular. really accepted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but for people who, who like Lumberjanes, there's a similar like inclusivity to Snapdragon that, that hits the same, the same vibe. And finally, I have a book of essays, humorous essays called Bring Your Baggage and Don't Pack Light by Helen Ellis. And it is basically essays about being an older woman. And so, you know, things like having a saggy neck, um, <laughs> Um, friendships that go back for decades and and how those work, that kind of thing. So some humorous essays about aging. Kind of. Okay. When you say older woman. She is probably slightly older than me. So let's say late 40s, early 50s. Oh, okay. So, you know, she's not like elderly, but she's getting to that point where, you know, you start to not get... You're feeling it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. You don't know any of the hip hop artists yeah. who are being mentioned on exactly. Twitter. <laughs> you you are not old, but you could no longer be called young. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, um, I'm very tempted by several of these. They're pretty. I mean, if if I say so myself, they're pretty interesting. I think I want to hear about Mudlark though okay. first. Cool. So I have to admit, I'm not finished with Mudlark yet. Um, I'm in the process of reading it. But um, it's something that I'm fascinated by. I spent some time in London. I did a summer of study in London when I was in grad school and saw a bunch of cool library stuff. Mm. And I stayed just like a block from the Thames. So I spent a lot of time on the south bank of the Thames. And I consider it kind of, I, I think of it fondly. And I think of it as kind of like, you know, a home away from home. I really liked the river. And uh, there were a lot, I would see people down there. There are some areas that are sand and they would build like little sand couches and hang out at low tide. And mm. I would see people wandering around looking for stuff. So I would see the mudlarks. And when I saw that this book existed, I really wanted to read it. So it's a lot uh, of memoir. She talks a lot about um, her childhood and she grew up in the country next to a river. And when she moved to London, she found that being around the Thames kind of anchored her to nature in the city. So she kind of got the best of both worlds because she really f considers herself a city person, mm -hmm. but also, you know, grew up in nature. So she was missing that. So that's what the Thames gives her. And she realized that, you know, that the, with the river being tidal, that you can get down there and that people find things. And she got into it. So she has tide tables that she carries around so she knows when low tide will be at different places because it's not like the river hits low tide at the same time. Mm -hmm. The Thames is huge. So you have the the tide head, which is way far west inland. And that is, I forget the name. I, it's like Eddington, Teddington, something like that. And that is the last possible place where the tide lowers. After oh, that, okay. it, the Thames is just kind of a normal river. And then it goes all the way to down and each chapter, it starts from the West and it continues down until the, the exit waters of the Thames. And she talks about, you know, 
going there and what she finds and the history of London and the stuff that she finds. So she, just a couple of examples of some of the things that she finds. She was at the, the head, the headland, the headwaters of the Thames where the tide, the last moment where there's the tide and it doesn't usually get down to where you can see the riverbank because they have um, locks there for boats uh, to control, you know, that there will always be water, but they get cleaned once a year. So, so while that's happening, um, you can get to the riverbank or to the river bottom. And so she went out there and she found um, some like bottlenecks, broken bottlenecks and some bottle toppers, including one that was made out of some weird kind of vulcanite or something like that material. And it had swastikas on it. Wow. Yeah, so she was very interested because she was pretty sure that the Nazis had never been in this area during World War II. <laughs> so she took it and did some research and discovered that it was from a brewing company from pre-World War II, like the early 1900s. Oh. And they were using the Hindu version of the swastika, which is a symbol of like abundance or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then after the Nazis came to power, they ended up scraping it off of all of their bottle tops. <laughs> So she actually has a really unusual specimen. Some poor person in the factory, they're like, guess yep. what your job is? We can't just throw these away. Here's a file. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she there's this really cool story about um, a typesetter on Fleet Street. That was where a lot of publishing happened in London. And he had a partnership with, um, with somebody who designed a typeface. And they were hmm. obsessed with developing like the most beautiful book, like the perfect beautiful book. And that included the typeface. And they had a falling out. And he was supposed to leave the typeface to his ex-partner when he died. But he didn't want it to fall into the wrong hands and be used for a purpose that, you know, wasn't, <laughs> you know, making a beautiful book. Sure. So over the course of years, he did like a ton of letter, um, of lead like typeface, you mm -hmm. know, when they had movable type that you would put in a rack, mm -hmm. he would take handfuls of it or bagfuls of it and go and drop it in the Thames um, <laughs> until it was all in the Thames. And it was the only example of this typeface called Dove, I think it's called Dove type. Mm -hmm. And he dumped it all in the Thames and it's gone now. So we only have a few examples, but there was a a designer who really wanted to, he wanted to create an electronic version of Dove's type, but he couldn't do it from the existing samples because when you press a letter, you know, into soft paper, it looks different. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to do it off of the original typeface, the, the letters. And he went and on the, he figured out where this guy lived and which bridge he likely threw it off of. And he went at low tide and he started finding a bunch of these Dove's type letters and he told her that he was pretty sure he'd found everything there was to find. There was nothing left. Um, there had been some extensive, it's at Hammersmith and mm -hmm. the IRA used to bomb the bridge there. <laughs> so there had been some reconstruction and he was pretty sure that everything was just either in concrete or, or gone. Yeah. But she wanted to check. And so she went down there and she found a comma, which is the only known comma um, in Dove's type. And she found it and an F and a couple of spacers and stuff like that. So... It's just interesting, all of the things that she finds, Roman beads and Victorian pipe stems. So it's a combination of a memoir of her life and also a history of London and also just a cool story about the stuff that is still floating in, in this river. She found somebody's uh, cremated remains <laughs> once and ended like up in like the canister, putting them back I guess? into the river and, and 
thinking about how they probably just got hung up further down down river. Why? (laughs) I can I can totally imagine someone dumping someone's cremains in the river, Mm -hmm. but why in the entire canister? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and she picked it up and wasn't sure what it was, and it was rattling. And then she found a little placard on it that had someone's name and, and dates of birth and death. Huh. And was like, oh, wow. And wasn't sure what to do with it. She was going to leave it there. And then was like, I can't just leave it in this pile of trash. Like, right. it had, you know, washed up with a pile of trash. Right. So weird. Yeah. She That's ended up super it back weird. In. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like it. It's like, History combined with like micro history, right? Because it's like, well, it's the history of London as a whole, but then also the comma of this one font. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And there are all these laws about mudlarking. You have to get a license to do it. You can't just go to London and like take stuff off of the shore. I can't just show up tomorrow. Exactly. um, You have to get a special license if you want to use a metal detector. And she has strong feelings about the use of digging in metal detectors. She thinks it hurts the shoreline and it shouldn't Mm. be allowed. You should just find what floats up. And you have to take anything you find to the Museum of London and have it registered. Hmm. So, Do people, has she got into, what do you call that, magnet fishing yet? Do people do that? I don't, she hasn't said anything about it. I would be surprised. Yeah. It sounds like she considers walking on the shoreline and looking to be the primary like draw of this activity. Okay. Kind of getting to know the river and looking at things. Yeah. Rather than, you know, trying to find the coolest thing. Just mining everything as you quickly can. as possible. Right. Yeah. She has a, a pretty healthy disdain for people who use the metal detectors because she thinks they dig right through things that don't set off metal detectors. Oh. You know, shards of pottery, bits like that, that yeah. then get destroyed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess it's it's funny because it's like one of those projects, right, where you're like, well, it's a thing you can do, but also part of the, it's like a journey, not destination project. Right. So it's like, yeah, if we just like did this as quickly as we could, it kind of defeats the point. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting activity. And I'm a fan of London. I re- it's probably my favorite city that I've visited. So, you know, I can envision all of these places. And I've watched mudlarks and thought it would be a cool thing to try. I I just like to, it's uh, just in the few things that you listed, it's like two semi-spite-based projects, yeah. which I thoroughly enjoy. <laughs> Someone's like, if I can't have this font, nobody can. Yeah. (laughs) And then having to file swastikas off of bottles. I can just imagine someone working at this factory who, you know, I'm sure that people had very strong feelings about the Nazis, Mm -hmm. but this person may have had just the tiniest extra, like, disdain for, like... (sighs) A little extra spice on it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As if I needed one more reason to dislike what they're doing. Well, and for anyone who's curious about Dove's type, the title on the cover of the book is in Dove's type, oh, and okay. every um, chapter title and epigraph is in Dove's type. What do you so, think of Dove's type? I think it's, I mean, it has a serif. Yeah. As you know, I have strong feelings about serifs. Yes. So yeah. I like that. Um, apart from that, I, I think it's nice, but I, I'm not an expert in fonts. Yeah. So it is definitely a font that I would use. Um, yeah. But I can't like expound on it in any like further. It's got to be one of those things of like, uh, 
because, you know, now it's like easy to make a font. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to make a good font, I've discovered, but it's easy to make one. But back then it was such a a chore. Yeah. I mean, you had to like physically carve the font. Exactly. Yeah. In a, in a lead block. Yeah. And you would have to be like, okay, well, if the M looks like this, mm-hmm. what does the L look like? <laughs> well, and what I've gathered is that they have all of the letters. Um, they've managed to find an example of all of the letters and most of the numbers, not a lot of punctuation. Um, but the designer who got obsessed with Dove's type, he has um, created an electronic version. So you can now download, which I find funny because this guy was like, I'm relegating it to the river and no one will ever be able to use it again. And now you can download it on your computer. Um, and he designed an at symbol so that it will be a modern up-to-date oh, font. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess this guy who dumped it in the river may have ironically... Yeah. gone the other way with it because yeah. who knows maybe no one would have cared yeah, if it just been around big, um she discovered she learned about dove's type because she found one of those little typeface blocks mm-hmm. in in the the riverbed of the thames and was showing it to some fellow mudlarkers and they were like is it dove's type and she was like what <laughs> and did some research and was like oh it's like this mystery and i guess now there's a second type that's similar somebody dumped their whole typeface into the into the river so there's a second type that people are interested in now the dove's type is kind of complete this makes me think that what i need to do is design a typeface and then dump it in the river (laughs) sadly i don't think people put them in in lead blocks anymore that's true maybe if i could well you know maybe i'll do my version and just dump it in like the lake at sanborn there you go park and then people will be like what's this trash what's this ancient typeface (laughs) (laughs) yeah what's this garbage I mean, as a typeface, it's a four out of ten, but it was a fun mystery while it lasted. Yeah. Are you aware that that's where the uppercase and lowercase terminology came from? From typeface? From, yeah, the I, from when they use the movable type. I am, but you could tell our listeners yeah. about it because I assume not everyone is a Nerdy. font nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you would have these trays of letters and uh, uppercase letters would go in the uppercase. And lowercase letters or small letters would go in the lowercase. So they were referred to as uppercase and lowercase letters, and it stuck. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad you have strong opinions about the font. I was like, I think I'm asking the right person about whether or not this is a good font. I may not be super knowledgeable about fonts, but I do have strong feelings about serifs. (laughs) You do. All right. So that's Mudlark. Mudlark by Laura Meiklem. Excellent. Um, all right. Should I quickly remind you? Please do. I didn't write anything down. Child Star by Box Brown. That's the graphic novel about a fictional child star. Okay. Draplin Design Company, Pretty Much Everything by Aaron James Draplin. That's a book about graphic design, kind of. Okay. And then Batman, The Hero Kuwata Batmanga, Volume 1. That's a mm-hmm. Batman in Japan. Okay. Is it actually Batman? It's Batman, yeah. Hmm. It's like, uh... I assume this was licensed by DC Comics. I don't actually know uh, if at the time it was like, could you just kind of do Batman? Because, like, what's DC Comics going to do? Or if this was, like, an official release and they were just like, we can just license this to someone in Japan for a little money and make money by doing nothing? I don't know. You know, let's talk about the Batman. Okay. So here's what I like about this. Okay, so it's it's... It reminds me a lot of the Batman 66 TV show because it's... The one with Adam Smith? Adam West. Adam West. Yeah. Yep. Not, not um, The Economist. No. No. And 
Not Matt Smith, the Doctor Who. <laughs> um, because it's basically, it'll be like a one-issue villain of the week, bizarre plot, and, you know, Batman foils the plot. Okay. But it's also kind of goofy, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems to exist in a world that's not quite like our own. Maybe, maybe what I'm reading is also like this was in Japan, but it's fairly old. Um, so I don't know how much of this is if I knew more about Japanese culture and living in Japan, if I would be like, oh, that's normal. Or if I'd be like, oh, no, this is a, a comics thing. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because like I guess if someone read uh, comics from here and they read Batman comics, they would be like, I'm going to get killed if I go to America. Yeah. Like in two seconds. Unless somebody saves me. <laughs> who watch like Law and Order and they're like, man. <laughs> Yeah. That's a dangerous place. Just like people Murdered cannot make it. Time. Yeah. It's like you have no <laughs> chance. So it's it's very fun. It's very lighthearted. Okay. And just a little weird. And uh I wrote down some of my some of the villains who appear in it because okay, I thought that was the, the best part. Um there's a guy who somehow gets involved in some sort of science experiment that makes too much skin appear on his face. And so his face kind of looks putty-like, almost like clay face, maybe. Okay. Um, which causes him to get really upset, and his goal is to destroy all faces that appear in the world, <laughs> uh, including there's a bunch of stuff at the museum that he destroys, uh, and then there's a giant sort of Mount Rushmore statue of Batman just out on a mountain. It's like exactly like Mount Rushmore, but it's got Batman's face on it. Okay. And so he tries to blow that up as well. So not just people's faces, but representations of faces. Yeah, more representations of faces okay. than actual faces. Okay. He's got a face grudge. He's mad because it's like, well, what he hates is staring him in the face. <laughs> but, so to speak. Yeah. Which was unfortunate, because it's like, I guess if you have a thing against faces, boy, that's going to be hard to avoid. Yeah. Not my first choice. There's a rubber ball man who can basically bounce around like a rubber ball. Okay. He's a lot like there's a DC Comics hero called Bouncing Boy, who was a rubber ball boy. <laughs> but, okay. But I Do don't Do they know. have beef? Uh, as far as I know, they've never met. Okay. I'd be curious to know. They should. Yeah. I think uh, I think Bouncing Boy also exists in the future, like the year uh-huh. 3000, because oh, he's okay. in the Legion of Superheroes. So maybe by this point, Bouncing Boy is just a, a lost memory. Yeah. I'm, I may be getting too nerdy here, but reverging. Uh, there's <laughs> you a, get too nerdy? <laughs> there's a weather magician, <laughs> so okay. he can do weather-related magic. <laughs> okay, sure. And then my favorite, a gorilla who has psychic powers who uh, dresses up in a full superhero costume with a cape and a mask, even though... He's a gorilla. He's a gorilla and does not have an identity that needs to be protected. Right. Well, and also, (laughs) it's not like there are a bunch of gorilla superheroes running around who are like, all I can tell you is that it was a gorilla in a superhero mask. Which one, I don't know. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't work both ways. Because it's not like he needs to hide his identity, because if he's a gorilla... You know, he could just be a gorilla, and who's right. going to know? Like, oh my gosh, that's the one I saw at the Omaha Zoo. Right. Just run into a local zoo, sit down, and they'll, what are they going to do? Be like, that's the one. Yeah. 
And it doesn't work because it's like, well, it's not like he can take off his mask and just hide right. in public. He can't just sit at a cafe without his mask on. And right. then it's like, you're still a gorilla. Curses. He escaped us again. <laughs> well, we can't bother this clearly innocent gorilla who's just <laughs> waiting for the bus. <laughs> Sorry, um, sir. Have you seen a gorilla around here who's not you? <laughs> Which is also funny because uh, DC Comics has a rich history of gorillas in comics. Uh, the story goes... One time, I think it was around the time King Kong came out, they had a uh, gorilla on the cover of a Superman book, and it sold like three times as much as any other book. Wow. Maybe because of that, but maybe not. So at that point, somebody working at DC was like, we need to put gorillas in all of our books. So We've unlocked the code. <laughs> so if you read DC Comics from that era, everybody's fighting a gorilla at some point. They go to islands where there are a bunch of gorillas. Um, this is where Gorilla Grodd came from. He's probably the most famous gorilla character. I'm, yeah, I can't, I, I don't know. He gets like psychic slash, uh, superpowers from, I think, a meteor that lands on Earth. Okay. There's a very famous and hilarious, there's the TV show, what is it called? Uh, there's a DC Comics superhero team show that's like with Flash and Green Lantern and all of those. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll come up with it. Um, is it Justice something? It might be Justice something. Justice Legion. Justice. Justice. That it could be show. called just that. Anyway, I'm sure a bunch of people know what I'm talking They're about. They're yelling at us. There's a hilarious episode of that where Gorilla Grodd travels back in time to kill a young Barack Obama. And so there's like <laughs> a 30 what second. What is it with you and comic books featuring Barack Obama? <laughs> So you can watch like a 30 second clip where there's a like young student studying in his dorm room. A gorilla bursts in and says, Barack Obama, I've come here to kill you. And I saw this and was like, this is like some just guy made this, right? Like this isn't a legitimate show. 100%. It's a real show. <laughs> anyway, there's also, I think my personal favorite He's not a uh, gorilla, but he's an ape, is Detective Chimp, who is a super smart chimp who runs his own detective agency. <laughs> As of course, naturally. <laughs> and he dresses like Sherlock Holmes with like a deer stalker hat. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you are a detective of any seriousness, like, you've got to have a deer stalker and preferably one of those big bull pipes. I think my favorite thing about him is he's just known as Detective Chimp. Because it's like, that'd be like if... Sherlock Holmes was detective guy. <laughs> anyway, so the uh, the Batman comic is just, it's a ton of fun. It's goofy. But if you like that Batman 66 feel, like if you're just like, I don't know, it's just weird to watch like Batman defeat Mr. Freeze through the power of dance. <laughs> right. Or Boffo on the screen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or my personal favorite episode where... Uh, Batman runs for mayor because he's running against the penguin because he's worried the penguin will become the mayor because he's doing a semi-successful campaign, except then Batman has trouble in the debate because he refuses to kiss babies because he says it spreads germs. And then you see... <laughs> you know what? That actually plays well in today's world. I mean, yeah, maybe he's the head of his time. <laughs> but like, probably the funniest thing in the entire episode is uh, the penguin, which I think is Burgess Meredith from the Rocky movies. Of course. 
you know, like leaning in to kiss a baby in a carriage with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> and you're just like, what is going on? And this is what's going to defeat Batman's yes. planet. Yeah, okay. And this is why people love him, because he's doing that. Right. Sure. This penguin man mobster kissing a baby with a lit cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> and you're just like, <laughs> what is happening? So it's the dream. If that's your vibe... Batman, the hero Kuwata Bat Manga is your jam. Cool. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> um, let's uh, see. Would you like a reminder? Sure, yeah. All right. So we've got The Greatest Love Story Ever Told by Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman. We've got Snapdragon by Cat Lay, which is the middle grade graphic novel. And we've got the essays Bring Your Baggage and Don't Pack Light by Helen Ellis. This is tough because I'm tempted by all of them. To be honest, I wish you'd brought something crappier. Well, you So know, that would at least give me one to throw out immediately. Keep, keep dreaming. <laughs> um, all right. Maybe I'll throw out comics just because I just talked about okay. comics so fair much. Enough, fair enough. And maybe the one comics nerd who listens to this is like, all right, enough. <laughs> I'm going to go with the book of essays. Okay. Because I, I do like a humorous essay. Okay. I'm a little surprised. I know. But I'll take it. I am too. So Helen Ellis is a humorist. Um, this is a recent development. I think she would describe herself for most of her life as a housewife. Her first book was actually called American Housewife. It was a book, a book of short stories, also funny. Um, she's got quite a sense of humor. I think she is what she would describe herself as a character. <laughs> there is actually an essay in this book about the difference between like a drunk and a character. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the character is the one that you invite to your parties. She's the one who, you know, drinks but still keeps control of herself <laughs> and has something exciting like grandma's wooden dentures in her purse. <laughs> 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 so that's the kind of, of anecdote that you'll get in this book. A lot of these have as like a running theme, you know, aging or getting older, you know, both the positives and the negatives. She talks about um, getting cow bile injected into your neck when you're, you know, approaching 50 so that it'll dissolve all the fat and you'll have a nice looking neck. Does that work? Apparently. She's had it done and is quite satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know if, is that Botox? I know that, or no, that's botulism. Yeah. Okay. She does talk about also uh, like <laughs> a, a, a sketchy apartment in New York City that some woman who has had so much plastic surgery that she looks like a cat injected her friend with Botox in like her her personal apartment so wow. but it, it cost a lot less than going to an actual plastic surgeon <laughs> you know sometimes you get what you pay for <laughs> it's true i'm not sure i would have taken that deal myself but you get the essay it's a gamble yeah, it's an yeah. all-in gamble but it's a gamble <laughs> it is a gamble and yeah i think i think the friend was fine so good yeah happy happy ending there when you say so much plastic surgery that she looks like a cat was that the intent or is that just i a... don't think so do you know there's this this woman who is on the internet and and she has like feline features and she doesn't look human anymore no you can google it okay <laughs> so i think it's that kind of situation gotcha where you know once you get started you just keep going and eventually you just look weird yeah yeah and it was one of those situations all right i think um, she talks about, uh, there's a great essay about her parents' last garage sale uh, because they're going to move into, uh, move in with her younger sister and they've had this four bedroom house, you know, 
that they no longer need and don't have space for the stuff anymore. So she talks about growing up and the art of the haggle and her father is, you know, a master haggler and taught her, uh, her mom haggles with herself and basically lists the items at the lowest possible price that she'll take and then gets offended when people try to haggle with her. Because she's already pre-haggled she's it down. She's pre-haggled. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the stuff that's in there, you know, the the weird stuff that, you know, a family gathers yeah. you know, over the course of a life. Um, so lots of books on playing poker. Uh, interesting fact about Helen Ellis, she is actually play. she has played pro poker. Um, on the the world poker circuit in Atlantic City, and she writes a fun essay about showing up at the poker table with all your like stereotypical poker players with their sunglasses and hoodies, yeah. and like they it seems like they haven't seen sunlight or a shower in five days. Yeah, and she comes in with like her swishy Chanel skirt and a little <laughs> pearl bracelet and a bag, you know, with peppermints in it, <laughs> and she sits down and you know she came in. 11th out of 700 in a tournament so like she's actually really good at it and you know but she doesn't fit the stereotype at all so she writes about that she's just she's like a wacky friend she's like one of your weirdest friends who who has all the best stories and she kind of collects people like that as her friends Mm -hmm. so she likes people who have weird jobs so that she can they can tell her about the weird stuff that they've seen doing their job like the contractor who uh, got called in because a family had a new floor installed and somebody sealed the cat in and uh. they could hear the cat meowing. And so they had to open up the new floor to get the cat out. Cat was fine. but <laughs> I've seen periodic videos of this online where yeah. they're like redoing a bathroom or something. Yeah. And then they have to cut a hole in the wall to get the cat out. Yep. Yep. And the cat is usually fine. Yep. And you're like, thanks. That just cost me $5,000. A lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> You have no idea yeah. what a pain you are. <laughs> well. So yeah, it's a, it's a short book. It's like, I think it's under 200 pages. Yeah, it looks pretty slim. Yeah, there. it's pretty slim and light and funny. I have read all of Helen Ellis's books at this point. She wrote um, the short stories, American Housewife. Um, those are a little off kilter. So if you like a, a, like a, a bit of an odd sense of humor. Mm. Those short stories will work for you. She also wrote a book called Southern Lady Code, which is about, um, she grew up in the South. And so she she writes about the way things work in the South and Southern Code, um, how, how to be polite and how to deal with people who aren't polite according <laughs> to your standards. Um, things like the Southern saying, bless, bless her heart. Oh, yeah. She goes into that. Yeah, I'm familiar (laughs) with that one. (laughs) And now um, this new book of essays, which is actually brand, brand new. I think it just came out this month. Um, Okay. And she's just enjoyable. She's not that much older than me, so I find that we have a lot of similar cultural references, even though I'm not Southern. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a similar kind of, not a dark, but a little bit of a sharp sense of humor, shall we say. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's a good euphemism (laughs) (laughs) that sounds great it's pretty great um i like her voice um and it's not a huge investment in time which is nice yeah and you since they're essays you can some of them are like five pages so you can Uh, literally sit down and read them super quickly and move on to something else like that like you're taking a lunch break or something and it's like i can start this and finish it exactly nice yeah would you say that this is a 
you know, if you were ranking the books of hers that you've read. Mm. They're all so different. Yeah. Uh, I would first. I would say decide whether you want fiction or non. Yeah. If you want fiction, I'd go for the short stories. Um, her voice is pretty similar through all of them. I will okay. say the short stories. There's this great short story about being on, like a an American Picker style show, <laughs> <laughs> and you it's like a competition, and they team up and go to all of these flea markets and fix stuff up. That is really stuck in my head. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> worth reading just for that. Uh, I also really like Southern Lady Code. There's a really great um, essay in there about she got into like a a battle of wills with a neighbor. They shared, so it's New York City apartments, and the elevator opened into like a little vestibule that they shared, and they got into a standoff about decorating it. Oh, good (laughs) (laughs) So she wrote about that. Um, Just funny, like slice of life stuff. Um, She's got a unique point of view and a unique voice she's southern but has lived most of her adult life in new york city so you, i don't know i just like her she's she's weird in a way that i enjoy that sounds like the perfect thing for neighbors to get in a little yeah scuffle over yeah and it, it got real this is like new york apartments are, are not a joke like yeah. if you get a good new york apartment you'll fight tooth and claw to keep it so. yeah <laughs> but yeah it's one of those things i can totally see myself being like three months into this embittered battle Mm -hmm. and thinking like, you know, last year I didn't even care about this. And now it's consuming me. Yeah. Like (laughs) I don't care what happens. This is it for me. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Whatever it takes. (laughs) Yep. Decorating this little hallway is now the most important issue in my life. Yep. 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 I will curse this person's name for the rest, yep, the rest yep. of my days or the rest of their days, whichever comes first. Yeah. And I have my preferences. <laughs> that sounds great. It is great. Helen Ellis, um, I think she's she's got a following, but I think essays are always a little bit under the radar. So yeah, yeah, they always essays and short stories. I think are always a little bit tougher sell. Yeah, maybe we should do that sometime. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, you know, well, I don't read a whole lot of short stories, but I yeah. do enjoy an essay. Yeah. It's a good idea. Good idea, Megan. Thank you. For us, for yeah. our own thing. I'm glad that I could guide us down this path totally <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yep. And also burn one of the titles that I would have loved to use for that <laughs> theme. I'll just bring in, I'll be like, this is a book by Helen Ellis. I don't know if I've talked about it before. Helen Ellis, tell me more. Yeah. She's pretty cool. Very elderly, very She's out not of elderly. It. <laughs> Excuse me. You said she <laughs> She's like late forties, early fifties. I'm just I'm giving you, you a hard time. See now giving you a hard time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Watch out, sir. All the smack talk from the last one happened off mic. So I just wanted to to bring it a little bit into this world. Well, beware because people are gonna like me and not you. Yeah, and if Helen Ellis is listening, I apologize. I had to use you to burn my friend. <laughs> you're you're a casualty of war. You know, if you hadn't done that, I'd say that you'd probably be her kind of person. <laughs> you know, a character. But now I, I think she's uh, she's going to hold a grudge. She'd be like, and mm, me God along bless with him. Her, I'll be like, let's go over here, Helen Ellis, and be in the cool kid's corner and leave him over there. Well, I do have a little upstairs stupid vestibule space. Yeah. That Not could sure use, what to do with it. Yeah, I don't know what to do with yeah. it. Seems like a lot of uh, modern homes and condos and stuff have. There's like, you go up the stairs and there's kind of a landing there. Yeah. And I I don't know what to do with it. 
I have no idea. I put a, a wide table, like a, a console table, and that's where I put my keys and, you know, my mail and all of that stuff. When I come in the door, I go up the stairs and put all my stuff there. So here's what's weird. Ours is up. So you come in, there's the main floor, and then upstairs is the two bedrooms. Okay. So it's not, I don't go by it necessarily uh, when I get home. Hmm. Yeah, it's in an extra weird spot. And I keep thinking, I'm like, we just need to either get something practical here, but I can't think of anything. So now I'm leaning towards getting something stupid. Bookshelf? Yeah, bookshelf would work. But you, Everyone can always use more book storage. That's true. But I keep thinking, like, maybe I need to build, like, a mini skee-ball machine. Because that would be intensely stupid to have here. I think that you should talk to um, the other person who lives in this, <laughs> this residence with you. As I have a feeling I know her response. Well, maybe I can start a uh, vestibule war. <laughs> if, if that's how you want to burn your life down, you go for it. <laughs> or maybe, you know, I'm a fan of Halloween. So maybe vestibule can be 365 Halloween. And then... See, I'm a Halloween fan, so you're winning me over. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell from your expression, you're like, I like this idea, but I don't think most people will. Yeah. <laughs> Accurate. Monthly seasonal display space, maybe? Could be. Yeah. yeah, and I could do the Halloween, and then she can do the rest of the year. Yeah. Because <laughs> you just don't I care. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't know. What's summer? A bunch of corn or something? Um, Dried ball, corn stuff? I don't know. Yeah. Beach towels. Sand. Just put uh, a bag of sunflowers. sand up there. Picture of waves. Sunscreen. Ooh, maybe like one of those magic eye posters. A really big one. Go up there I've never on an, gotten one of those toys. On an easel. <laughs> I mastered the art of those in middle school because I was that bored. Hmm. Um, okay. Should we quickly go over our ones we talked about and ones we didn't talk yes, about? Yes, let's do that. You okay. go first. So at first I talked about the Skydiving Beavers by Susan Wood. I think I covered that. And then uh, Batman, the Hero Kuwata Batmanga. So it's spelled J-I-R-O-K-U-W-A-T-A. And we'll put this in the notes. Yeah. So don't like get into a car accident if you're driving to write this down. No, please don't. Please uh, don't. I enjoyed the Bat manga, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing worth worth wrecking over. Uh, then the other one was Child Star by Box Brown. So it's a fictional story about a child actor, and you know, kind of follows him through his life. It's almost like a, a made up 2020 documentary style. So it's like his co-stars and his parents and a bunch of other people are interviewed and they kind of put his life together. It's um, it's interesting. Okay. It was a good read. And then Draplin Design Co., Pretty Much Everything by Aaron James Draplin. So he's a big uh, graphic designer. Probably his most famous thing is he designed those little notebooks, field notes, if you know oh, okay. those. Um, he designed that. He designed the fonts for it. He also did a very famous piece for um, when they retired the space shuttle program. So if you look up like Draplin Space Shuttle, you'll see the graphic and it's probably recognizable. Yeah. But he designs a bunch of graphic stuff and then he makes a lot of little, you know, like pencils and weird things like that. Um, he's just a very interesting guy. He comes from a very like blue collar background and then... Uh, has sort of brought a lot of stuff back into the design world that comes from like 
things they would give to farmers back in the day, like little, um, that's where field notes came from because they used to do what they called seed notebooks. Mm -hmm. So a seed company would give you a little notebook um, to use and little pencils, just weird stuff like that. Okay. Um, so this is kind of, his book is kind of a collection of a lot of that stuff and then a lot of his projects. And then um, the layout of the book is really interesting. And, you know, he's got a section about his dog and his dad and his wife, maybe wife, partner, whatever. Okay. Um, yeah. And just a lot of little stories about, how he learned to graphic design, but then just things he really likes and then things he doesn't like. And it's just, it's very fun. And you feel, you can feel how enthusiastic he is about this stuff mm -hmm. and it's infectious. Yeah. So even if you're not like really into graphic design, it's very readable and it's just kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that I enjoy listening to people who really love something, talk about the thing they really love. He's definitely enjoys it. Yeah. He's definitely a fan of his own you know, field. Okay. Yeah, it's very cool. Cool. All right. So I talked about Mudlark in Search of London's Past Along the River Thames by Laura Meiklem, and we discussed that. Uh, I'll also Bring Your Baggage and Don't Pack Light, which is a book of essays by Helen Ellis. Then the ones we didn't discuss, uh, The Greatest Love Story Ever Told by Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman. I want to put a special pitch out for this. I think it would be amazing in audio. The whole thing is written basically like a transcript of them talking to each other. Mm. So I think it would really be great uh, in audio because they're both super funny people and they, they know each other very well, so they play off of each other really well. So I think it would be hysterical in audio. Then Snapdragon by Kat Lay, that's L-E-Y-H. And she, this is a middle grade graphic novel. She's an illustrator for the, the very popular Lumberjanes series of graphic novels. And this has a similar vibe. Um, it's about young people who are kind of figuring out where they belong in the world, uh, misfits. It's very inclusive. So people who are looking for racially and like sexual orientation um, inclusivity, you'll find that here. It's a bit quirky, um, but heartwarming and, and fun to read. It's, I quite enjoyed it. Nice. And those were my four. Excellent. Yeah, we did right. it. We did it. Next time. time horror horror the horror In preparation for october yeah we want to get you those titles stuff. early yeah <laughs> so hopefully you can hear about some of them and then actually get to them in october yeah so get excited yeah we're both big fans of the scary stories so we'll have some good ones for you i'm confident all right well this is peter crumpling his notes wow and signing off thanks for listening to us for a while everybody this is Megan. And that's Peter. He's being quiet now. I crumpled my notes. I had a goodbye on there, but now I can't read it. All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> what the heck, man? <laughs>